All right. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6.13, please. Ephesians 6.13. The message is entitled, Resisting in the Warfare to End Standing. Paul has exhorted the believer to be equipped for battle as a good soldier of Christ in verse 10 in the first part of 11. It was characterized by three truths. The implication the believer is to realize his own insufficient strength being weak for the spiritual warfare. That's the first step of wisdom. Second, the declaration the believer is to rely on the sufficient strength of Jesus for the spiritual warfare. And thirdly, the application the believer is to recognize the efficient provision for the spiritual warfare. As he moved on to the rest of 11, Paul gave the believer the purpose for the command to be strong in the Lord and to put on the whole armor of God, to be victorious in the warfare. And it was characterized by the ability for victory in the warfare that you may be able to stand. The intensity in the warfare against the wiles. It's, it's a hot, it's an intense war. The adversary in the warfare being the devil, as we saw. Paul then pointed out that our spiritual warfare is not against blood and flesh, literally in the Greek, but against various ranks of angels. We first looked at the uh, ministering spirits of the heirs of salvation under three categories or three lenses, the origin of the angels, the nature of the angels, and the various classes of angels. And we also saw the ministry of the fallen angels that are demons, some of them, under the same threefold lens, the origin of demons, the nature of demons, and the activity of demons. And so you have a warfare going on that's spiritual. You and I were dead in trespasses and sins. We were completely oblivious to this. We were living our own lives and ignorant of the spiritual realm. We are basically spirit. And God um, um, gave us uh, that's the spiritual aspect of our lives that we might be alive and have fellowship with him. But my body is going to die and go back to the earth. My emotion, my intellect, my will, um, that is here to communicate. And too often that is what manipulates my own desires and my own will to run my life and my body the way I want. Once I'm born again, then I'm turned right side up and I'm spirit uppermost. Now my intellect, emotion, and will are subject to the rule of God by my spirit. My body becomes a temple of God. And so there's a battle. I, I still have sin nature. The world's fallen. Everything around is against God. The message that we have is a foreign message from outside this world. That's why people hate it more so today than ever before in America. It's not a philosophy. It's not a psychology. It's not some, you know, nice little nice-to-do list. This message comes from heaven. Everything else you learn on earth here comes from the earth. It's corrupt. And so, we want to look at the proper response of the believer for victory 
in the warfare here in verse 13, which is characterized by three things. Let me read verse 13. He says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This proper response of believers is important for victory in this warfare. It's characterized by first the proper spiritual preparation. The first part of 13. Proper spiritual preparation. Second, the purpose for the spiritual opposition. Secondly, in the second part. And thirdly, the proper spiritual exertion. The rest of it. This is war. It's not kickback time. It's not just sitting with your feet up on the couch. Uh, a Coke in one hand and a sandwich in the other. Let's begin here with the proper spiritual preparation. Notice the Apostle Paul came to the only spiritual conclusion for the Christian soldier in view of the nature of the war. One word, therefore. The word that Paul uses, therefore, means on this account. In view of or because of this, all that had he had stated. In view of what I've stated, that the believer is weak in himself, insufficient to fight and to be victorious in this spiritual warfare in verse 10. Believers are made of flesh and blood with a sin nature. That's a bad combination. Believers are unable to defeat the spiritual enemy. The devil and his angels in their natural strength. Remember, we, we study that they're stronger than mankind, right? But also that the believer is unable to stand against the schemes and stratagems of the devil, as verse 11 says. The believer cannot detect the lies of Satan through his own wisdom. He, he's, he's smart, he's, he's slick, he, he's been around. The believer cannot unmask the enemy by his experience. When somebody says, oh, you don't have to worry about it, I've been around for a long time. He's a dead man. Satan's deceived the wisest, Solomon. But also, like in verse 12 said, that the believer wrestles not against blood and flesh, but against wicked spiritual forces of fallen angels and demons. It's not like you can talk to somebody and, 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 and see them face to face and, and it's, it's an invisible enemy. Unless God would open our eyes, we, we can't see them. We know they're here. We know that they attack us. We know that they try to hinder our life, but we can't see them. The believer needs the divine empowerment of God. The believer needs the divine armor of God. Paul, as he was writing the epistle, without doubt was hoping the believers at Ephesus we're drawing to the same conclusion. You as a parent do the same with your child. You're teaching them, teaching them. And then you ask them a question or you, you, know, you give them a little test and you're hoping you're going to conclude the same thing you would. 
Because you've taught him along and he should come to the same conclusion, right? That's what's going on here. Acknowledging their own weakness and insufficiency and ten. Acknowledging their own need to put on the armor of God and to stand against the wiles of the devil in verse 11. Acknowledging the incredible wicked army of fallen angels and demons joined with Satan to oppose them. It's not a small army. One third of the angels in heaven. That's a lot of angels. Notice the Apostle Paul declared, or he ordered here, the believer as a soldier of Christ to obey his instructions for the spiritual warfare. He says, take up the whole armor of God. Paul is um, continuing to act as their commanding general here to an extent. He gave an imperative command. This is not a suggestion. This is not an, an opinion. This is not, well, you know, if you feel like it. And you're dealing with your child and you know it's something of great importance and you say, now you make sure that front door is locked. Do you hear me? Look at me. Make sure. Pull it. Something of importance. It's a command. The imperative command is in the heiress, we are told, to be obeyed at once, once and for all. Literally, keep it on. The command is to every believer without exception. There is not one believer that's ever born again that is sitting out the warfare. Now, I think I'll sit this one out. Uh-uh. Everybody's born into warfare. There were only two possibilities. Either victory or defeat. That's it. Notice Paul used the phrase take up to receive or to take up in order to use is the Greek word. This is the second time he instructed them to do this. Giving emphasis to the command, the variation of the two statements also given gives it a great emphasis. The first was also an imperative, put on the whole armor of God. In verse 11, the first part. We pointed out that the phrase put on means to be clothed or to be arrayed with. Our text is to receive in order to use. Be arrayed, but receive it to use it. Not just to, to flash it and to show it off. Not that it's just on you, but to use it. The verb in verse 11 is emphatic. Put it on, put it on. The heiress again indicates a decisive act in submissive obedience. The believers involved. It doesn't happen through the process of osmosis. It doesn't happen automatically. There is no cruise control in Christianity. The middle voice indicates this perfectly. Each person must do it for themselves. No one can do it for another. How you, I would want to do so much for my children when they were growing up. 
how I would want to make some decisions that they might be in danger of making the wrong decision. But I couldn't as a father. I could do certain things for them to protect, to direct, and guide. But then they are out there by, on themselves and they make some decisions and they have to make them. And as they make those decisions, then they have to be responsible for the consequences. But they are involved. If they make the right decision, then they are part of the benefit to themselves. But it doesn't happen automatically. The point is clear. Each believer is personally responsible for putting on their armor. If you are in the service, you know you got to take care of your own rifle, right? you got to clean it, tear it down. You're responsible for making your shoes, your, your boots are shiny. Your fatigues are iron. Your bunk is made. Not the guy that sleeps next to you. You. Notice Paul is writing this, his letter about spiritual warfare as he is chained. Remember, we've gone through this to a Roman soldier. The imagery is one of the Roman Hoplite, a man of arms. The heavy uh, arm legionnaire, not the light arm fighter of the auxiliary contingent who was uh, armed only with a bow. This guy's dressed to kill. This guy's ready for war. He is ready to go out and to just slay the enemy. This is the frontline soldier that Rome had depended on to conquer and defend the world it held. The phrase whole armor is made up of two words, all and weapons. The complete armor, literally all of the weapons found two other times, Luke eleven twenty two and Ephesians six thirteen. Everything is on there. Everything's on, on, on the armor. The girdle of truth, verse 14. The breast of righteousness, 14. The shoes of the gospel of peace, 15. We'll be going spending time with that. The shield of faith, 16. The helmet of salvation, 17. The sword of the spirit, 17. Prayer, 18. The parts of the armor are mostly offensive with a few that can be defensive and offensive weapons at the same time. The sword and the shield. There were more parts to the Roman armor, like lances, but Paul is not trying to give us an exact comparison, but rather parallel imagery for the spiritual warfare in Christ. There is no Christian exempt from this order. Not one. This is why there's so many casualties in the church. Because they do not take the warfare seriously and they don't put on the whole armor of God. There's an article that says, What if Pearl Harbor, the morning of December 7, 1941, found 353 Japanese airplanes swarming all over the harbor uh, site? Within a couple of hours, America lost eight big battleships, six major aircrafts, 2,400 men. 
That happened at 7.50 a.m. in what was supposedly a surprise attack. But that morning at 7 a.m., while the Japanese warplanes were 137 miles, 50 minutes away, two U.S. soldiers on a small radar station in the Pacific um, scanned the screen and saw dots and dots appearing. Until the whole screen was filled, these soldiers notified their youth supervisor, a lieutenant. No other officer was around him being Sunday. The lieutenant thought these must be planes from California. And without another thought, said these uh, crucial words, quote, don't worry about it. They would have been plenty of time to scramble the planes at Pearl Harbor, prepare the battleships and shelter the men. But this lieutenant, at the most responsible moment of his career, failed the nation. He did not have the same mind as the two men at the radar station, nor did he respond to the information provided in obeying warning Pearl Harbor. It made a big difference that day. And so it does in our lives when we don't agree with God, with the things that he's told us and what he's prepared for us, we end up the casualties and others. You know, every believer is a soldier in Christ to be victorious. Um, and we must take up the whole armor of God being of the same mind. We agree with what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 10 on down to 14. Uh, um, I has not seen, neither has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man. Things that God has prepared for those who love him. And the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. He doesn't discern them, but the spiritual man understands all things. Um, so no man can judge us, and we have the mind of Christ, it says. So as we get into the Word, we're instructed, we're guided, we're convicted, we're reproved, we're exhorted. By the Spirit of God, not by the pastor, not by a person, not by someone else. Because there's that personal relationship and we know that God speaks to us through his word. We must constantly remember that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, impotent, without strength. Matthew twenty six forty one. Our flesh is weak. It's sinful. We guard ourselves against pride of self-sufficiency. Galatians 3.3 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? It's a rhetorical question with one answer. No. There's no way that you and I can accomplish in the flesh what can only be accomplished in the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Every believer as a soldier of Christ to be victorious, has to exercise personal obedience to take up the whole armor for his personal use. This does not happen automatically, but by dependent obedience towards Jesus. Have you ever seen somebody training a dog? And that dog learns on command when to heal. Come. And when he hears his master's voice, he obeys immediately. 
And one day that master's at the park with him and he throws the ball. And the ball rolls down the hill, goes between two cars, goes out in the street, and there's a big truck coming. The dog is running after it. He's lowered to the ground. He can't see that truck coming. The master up on the knoll can see that if he goes out that ball, he's going to be killed. And he gives the command to heal. Now the dog doesn't say, well, I can't. He, he threw the ball. Why is he telling me to heal? I'm going to go get the ball. That's what you and I would do. The dog just sits. Boom. Bus goes by. Dog goes. Whew. Obedience is a protection. A great protection. Paul told the Romans, put on the whole armor of light, or the armor of light, Romans 13, 12. The future, or the failure to obey, to put on the armor of God, will make us vulnerable and guarantee defeat by our spiritual enemy. Paul told the Thessalonians in 5, 8, he says, put on the breastplates of faith and love and as a helmet of salvation. Simple wisdom. You know, there was a, a lot of guys in Nam, from what I hear from my friends and others, that because it was so hot and humid, sometimes they didn't want to wear their flag jackets, you know what I mean? And though there wasn't a battle going on, it wasn't, but they were in a war zone and sometimes strap metal or something got them. You, you can't take a chance. It may be hot, it may be stinky, it may be uncomfortable, but it'll keep you alive. And that's the bottom line. You see some of these policemen, some of them are big guys, and they get out of their car and they... they and they got that armor under them. You know, they even make them look bigger. And I bet you they're sweating like a bunch of pigs. But you know what? When he pulls up and that guy takes that gun out and tries to shoot him, it'll save his life. And that's really the decision you're making. Sometimes it's comfort or living. And if we see that clear danger here in the natural realm, how much more in the spiritual realm? The proper spiritual preparation is to be victorious. Notice, secondly, the purpose for the um, spiritual opposition. The Apostle Paul declared the believer as a soldier of Christ. And he is to resist the spiritual attack. He says that you may be able to withstand. Listen to what he says. It is introduced by the word that. Hina. It's often referred to a hina clause. It explains why the previous command was given. To take up the armor of God. You might translate it because, for this reason, when you find the Greek word henna, usually translated that, a purpose clause. 
Paul is clearly implying that if we do not put on the armor of God, we will not be able to withstand. Paul presented the spiritual enemy as on the offense, attempting to have believers live their lives by their feelings and emotions that are self-gratifying. Attempting to have believers to trust their own wisdom instead of obeying God's word that is self, that is an act of self-defeat. Satan told Eve, has God said in Genesis 3.1? See, if he can have you just compromise God's word, just, just a little, little degree here. But you keep traveling that little degree and the farther you travel, the greater that degree becomes. The further from that center. Attempting to have believers add to God's word by integrating the various so-called philosophies, psychologies, and various teachings of the world. In the opening of the sermon, I said that the gospel is a foreign message. It's been given to us from heaven. Everything else that you will learn, that you will read, that you will touch, comes from the earth. It's corrupt. It's imperfect. Can't even compare it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet today, there's a lack of hunger for God's word by the people of God. They don't hunger after it. They were going after spiritual candy canes, cotton candy, Mars bars, Milky Ways. <laughs> but uh, it's costly. Eve added, nor shall you touch it lest you die, Genesis 3, 3. God never said that. He wants to converse with you. He wants to sit on and chat with you. You can't. Don't, don't touch God's word. Don't alter God's word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Just leave it alone. It's perfect. The Christian soldier is to always be standing and defending his ground against the attacks of Satan and his angels. The ability to do so is by the divine armor of God. That is why we are told to put it on and to take it up. He puts it two different ways. The phrase you may be able is the word dunamis. You remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, Tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with dunamis from on high, the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit. Indicating power that is inherent by virtue of the divine enablement. This word has been used. We've seen it in chapter 119, verse 21, chapter 3, verse 7, 16, and 20. It's God's divine power. That's the problem with too many Christians and churches today. They're not depending on the power of the Spirit of God. They're depending on, on a corporation-run church. 
through organizations, through this, through corporate principles and all this stuff, but not the power of God to transform. The word would stand. Describes what the constant practice of the believers to be. And it's most appropriate, it means to stand against, face to face, to resist or oppose in the error's active, meaning successfully. The same word is used when Paul withstood Peter to the face at Antioch over his hypocrisy. And when James says, resist the devil and he will flee in James 4, 7, then Galatians 2, 11. And so it's something that is done by the power of God. It's done successfully as we depend on that power. When you get an extension cord and you need to charge up your battery or kick over a generator or something, you, you confidently know that you go to the wall and you plug it into the electricity, 110. And it should work on the other end. You're confident. You don't go plug it into the water faucet. You've got to have it plugged in at the right outlet if you're going to get the right energy or source of energy, whatever it may be. So a believer is not to back down or give in to the spiritual attacks, but rather hold his ground and push him back, gaining ground. You didn't just want to hold your ground. You're going to want to drive the enemy back. Six times the word against appears in verse 11 and 12. Against, 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 against warfare. Notice the Apostle Paul declared the believer as a soldier of Christ is to resist the spiritual attack related to specific occasions in the evil day. Paul, by the use of this phrase, clearly indicates a few things. First, the occasion is not the normal everyday attack of Satan and his angels. Not the normal one. Second, the occasion is more severe in intensity and danger. Paul has been interpreted in different ways in the use of this phrase in the evil day. Jerome said it indicated the day of judgment. Wesley said it indicated the occasion at death or occasions in life. Others say the occasion is immediately preceding the second coming because it is used before the Lord's return, the phrase. And still others indicate that it means this present age. So you've got various opinions. Some are good. It could possibly be some are not good. But the adjective after the second article is important here. Paul uses two articles 
in this phrase in the Greek. Literally in the Greek is the day the evil. It doesn't show in our Greek, in our English. The article the marks it as a special or specific time distinct from the norm as we stated. The adjective after the second article is evil, making it emphatic, declares the Greek scholar Lenski. The evil day, distinct from the normal everyday warfare. That word evil, we've come across it before, is the word poneros. Evil in active opposition to good to defeat the believer in the active opposition. Evil in nature. It thrives on it. The word describes also the satisfaction of corruption and destruction of people. You and I used to know people like that. Perhaps we were one of them. You know, we just love to corrupt people. It's funny. It's fun, right? This is the word. The word evil, ponaraz, means evil in active opposition. The word describes also the satisfaction of corruption and destruction of people, as I said. And the word was used for redeeming the time because the days are evil, ponaraz, in Ephesians 5.16. So you redeem the time because the days are evil. He talks very specifically about that. He will use it once more. For the fiery darts of the wicked one, Poneros, Ephesians 6.16. Fiery darts, not just regular ones. This is part of that intense warfare. The three times Paul uses the word in the epistle confirms that the occasion is not the norm of spiritual warfare. This marks an overly hostile, intensive, and vicious attack of the enemy upon a believer. It could be in any area of life, at any time in life. It could be directed to the individual, marriage, family, their faith, physical illness. Keep the list going. Satan is called the wicked, Poneros, the wicked one. 1 John 2, 13, 14, 3, 12, 5, 18, 5, 19. One of his main titles. The word is used to command the believer to abhor what is Poneros, evil. Romans 12, Why would you have to command a believer to hate what is Poneros? Because he and she still has a sin nature. And if we don't walk in the spirit, doggone it, I will walk in the flesh. There is no C. It's A or B. God prefers A. The spirit. You remember Joseph, he resisted the constant attacks by Potiphar's wife, and I'm sure she was a stone fox. 
He's a young man. And um, she wanted to lay with him every opportunity. One day she caught him by his cloak and he ran out naked. That was the only way out. He took it. It would have been real easy to rationalize. I said, you know, I tried and I did all I could and, you know. But remember, he told her, how can I do this against God? First of all, the husband, but then God. The believer is born into warfare, as we've said, so he needs to know the word of God to know how to resist. A lot of Christians today are in this um, pop Christian culture of emergent. And they don't study the word of God. A lot of activities. A lot of cheerleading. Big crowds. A lot of programs. But what are they going to do when the spiritual warfare hits? What are they going to do when they get married and have children? What are they going to do when the troubles come? Hmm. By being strong in the Lord and the power of his might, we're to put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 says, By standing against the wiles or stratagems of the devil also, Ephesians 6, 11 at the end says, Not by being ignorant to Satan's devices when the attack comes, 2 Corinthians 2, 11, but by casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. The word. Joe says, I esteem God's word more than my daily substance. What do you think about the word of God? Do you value it? Do you understand what it has done for you and what it can do for you? Today, people, ah, you guys, it's, it's, it's Bible worship. You got, these are Christians. They say this stuff, they, at least they call themselves. Some are professors. Some are pastors. Disparaging the word of God. Wow. I wonder what God thinks about that. By putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and not making provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust in Romans 13, 14. If the word of God wouldn't tell me that, my, my sin nature would tell me to do it. The believers to resist various kinds of attacks. Doctrinal error. Take heed what you hear. Take heed how you hear. Take heed, you are not deceived. Mark 4, 24, Luke 8, 15, Luke 21, 8. Take care how you hear, what you hear, and that you're not deceived. Too many Christians don't have a spiritual filter. 
They just open their big mouths like a whale. Think they're eating plankton. And they take anything and everything in. They buy and read every type of pop Christian trash book. And they get their theology from it. Promoted by Oprah. And the gang. Wow. Worldliness. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. First John 2.16. It's all around us. You can't escape it. But you can prepare for it. Self-righteousness like the Pharisees that Jesus constantly um, exposed. and Reproved them and rebuked them. First Peter 5.9 says, Resist him, Satan. Steadfast in the faith. The faith talks about your, the word of God. When we're talking about faith, it should send you back to the revelation of God. In the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. The warfare is universal. Christians over in Russia have warfare just like you have it here. China, Mexico, Canada. We have the same enemy. The believer is to know when these attacks will cease. Ready for it? When we go to be with the Lord. Or he takes us in the rapture. That's when they cease. <laughs> Not before. Satan departed from the Lord after his temptation in the wilderness till a more opportune time, Luke 4, 13 says. Till a more opportune time. 1 Peter 5a says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He loves roasted Christian. Barbecue sauce on him, too. Listen to what Jesus told Peter. Peter, Satan desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Whew, thank God. You know, Jesus prays for you. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Wow. The purpose for the spiritual opposition is to resist victoriously. To resist victorious. Not just biting the bullet. Notice third here and last. The proper spiritual exertion is given to us. It's short. The Apostle Paul declared the faithful obedience of the soldier of Christ throughout the process. He points it out. Ready? And having done all. That's a process. You ladies do some baking. You know, when you want to do some nice cookies or cakes, um, you have to put the right ingredients. And if you don't have the right process, you don't get the product. Remember, process equals product. Always. Paul described the diligence of the believer 
in the evil day. He took on the whole armor of God. He made use of the empowered ability to resist, not allowing Satan to gain ground or defeat him or her. And Paul depicted the ongoing obedience and perseverance through the intensity of the attack, having done all. It is comprehensive, this phrase. All. All what? All that was necessary. All that was required. All that needed to be done. The word in the Greek. That's one word. It means to perform, accomplish, achieve. To carry something to its ultimate conclusion. The errorist tense indicates the effectiveness with the middle voice indicating the person must once again be the one to participate in doing it. Each soldier has to be part of that process to end up with the product of victory. This is the Christian soldier. Yet the imagery, again, is one of the Roman hoplite, um, a man of arms, that heavy armed legionnaire, ready for battle, dressed to kill. It's the title of one, a book about the armor. I love the title, Dressed to Kill. <laughs> this is um, the frontline soldier. That Roman that uh, had depended on uh, uh, by Rome to conquer and to hold everything that they held in the world. And so the Christian soldier. Paul is focusing on the whole armor. Once again, all the weapons, literally all weapons. Once again, we'll go through it in article form as we move through it. Um, the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, prayer. All of that is necessary and all of it must be used. Notice the apostle Paul declared the final product of the process to stand. Having done all is the process. To stand is the product. Paul boldly and confidently declared the believer's victory here. The phrase to stand means to cause a person or thing to keep his or its place. Unshakable. Rooted, founded so deep that when the earthquake comes, it is not moved. They are persistent in their denial to give way. They are committed only to go forward, not backwards. The tense, again, is the error's active indicating effective finality. It's ongoing. The process will yield the product. The obedience of the believer and the enabling by God will make a Christian soldier 
stand victorious. May not look too pretty, but he's standing. He hasn't given an inch. There are five eras tense in this verse, ladies and gentlemen, that greatly emphasizes the effect of finality. Five eras tense. Take up, you may be able, withstand, having done all, to stand. All five are eras for finality, certainty. Guaranteed the work if our obedience is there. Wow. Paul then finally provided for the believer a confident hope. Confident hope. Why? Because all of this is pointing us to trust and hope in Christ, in the power of God, in the armor of God, in obedience to God, in being resourceful by making use of all that God has made available to the believer Excluding nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, it's like an athlete who makes use of everything that has been given to him and all he's learned and all he's practiced. And mustering up every skill and every ounce of energy as he goes out there to compete, to stand as the first victorious same thing if you've done any high level of competition university and that you know what that is you give your all we need to make use of the resources that God has um, provided for us beginning with the word in 2 Timothy 2.15 he says be diligent to present yourself to God a workman that does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth 2 Timothy 2.15 you prove yourself to God rightly dividing the word of truth this is truth this is there this will help me this won't a trailblazer you can cut it you can make the way in prayer, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, or 7. Guard your heart and minds. In fellowship, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 25. You know many Christians forsake the gathering of the saints? They just come once in a while. They snack on God's food. They don't see the, the crucial, essential need for ongoing growth, nourishment, through the word, through prayer, fellowshipping together, rubbing elbows, praying for one another, 
encouraging one another, greeting one another. It does so much for us. We need to remember the scriptures when we would grow weary and want to quit and give up. Let me give you God's promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I love that verse and I hate that verse. I love it because I am assured that God can get me through anything. I hate it because if I don't yield to it, I will fail. And it will be my fault, not God. God's sufficiency. Listen to Paul. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. What a powerful verse. So small. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Everything he calls you to do, everything he enables you to do, everything he allows to come into your life, I can do all things. Not all things that I want to do. Not all things that I call myself to do. But all things that he brings into my life. He prepares for me. God's faithfulness. You must take these words and put them into your heart. This is a dying man speaking. Listen to him. In 2 Timothy 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In the time my departure is at hand, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Second Timothy 4, 6-8. Paul was not saying, thank God, I'm out of here. Shish, no more. He doesn't say that. He's going to have his head chopped off. God's companionship. Listen. Second Timothy four seventeen and eighteen. Paul's still speaking. Last words that he wrote in this epistle. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, Satan. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Millions upon millions have said the same thing and have exited, gone home the same way. Just like Paul said right now. The proper spiritual exertion is to finish victorious. Wow. 
This is the proper response of the believer for victory in the warfare. Characterized by the proper spiritual preparation, it's to be victorious. The purpose for the spiritual opposition is to resist victorious. And the proper spiritual exertion is to finish victorious. Process equals product. Can't get away from it. You put the wrong process in, you get a bad cake. <laughs> put the right stuff in, go through the right process, good product. Father, thank you for your grace and your love, your goodness. Thank you for tonight and thank you for just your goodness to us, Lord, how good you are. Father, as we um, stand against the enemy, as we trust you for the sufficiency, just deal with our hearts. We thank you. Lift up your saints to you, Lord, and your church that you continue to do that great work in us. As you're praying tonight, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. If you don't know Jesus Christ, God loves you. He sent the Son to die for you. He died. He uh, went down to hell for three days, preached to the prisoners, rose from the dead, and he is able to forgive you of your sins. And if you believe that he did that as he said he did, and he did, then you can call upon his name and be saved by grace through faith, not because you deserve it, but because he offers it as he died in your place to make that payment to the Father for the sins of the world. So if you want to accept him, this is your prayer to him right now, right where you may be. And he's going to save you and forgive you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.